celebrate the wonderful feast day today of Corpus Christi, the feast of the body and blood of Jesus. Uh, The celebration of the Eucharist, which, of course, is every feast day, every Sunday we celebrate the Eucharist. That's the thing about being Christian um, since the ascension and the sending of the Spirit on Pentecost, which we've just finished um, celebrating, is that this way that God continues to be present and continues to um, get the merits and the grace of that Paschal mystery, what Jesus accomplished on the cross and in the resurrection, into us, his body, the church, is through the sacraments and especially through the sacrament of the Eucharist, this way that we are united with Jesus in his body and his blood and we become what we receive. It's so beautiful um, to just consciously celebrate that, consciously be grateful for the gift of being Catholic, to have the Eucharist. Um, How can you live without it? Once you understand the gift that Jesus has given us in the Eucharist, to be so close to us. Um, And it's especially beautiful this year because we begin... Um, the USCCB, the U.S. Conference of Bishops, has called for a Eucharistic revival because just a few years ago you might have heard the, the Pew Forum study uh, that, that uh, polled e- people even in the pews, people that go to Mass on Sunday, Catholics, and it was an alarmingly high rate of people that either didn't understand that the Church believes that the Eucharist is the real presence of Jesus and not simply a symbolic presence, or that they knew that the Church t- taught that but they simply didn't believe it something like only a quarter of, of Catholics really understand and believe the Church's teaching on the Eucharist, that it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, the real presence. Um, and so this revival is not simply like a, a PR campaign or a pastoral strategy, but a, a revival in the true sense that we're trying to ask the Holy Spirit to revivify the Church, especially in this country, um, to come back to the most essential thing about being Christian. It's not doing good works or imitating Jesus' example of his life, or being a good moral person. It's receiving the grace of Jesus Christ in ourselves, in our lives, to become another Christ, and so to be united with with him in his relationship to the Father, the the Blessed Trinity. That's what we're all destined for in heaven, is to be one with God, to see him face to face. And we do that at every Mass. We see his Eucharistic face, the face of God, his mercy, his love for us to come so close. And so... um, all throughout the country, there's Eucharistic processions happening at cathedrals. And last night, uh, even here in Chicago, we had a Eucharistic procession at Holy Name Cathedral to, to kick off these two or three years of, of, of revival. I've been blessed myself to be called to be a Eucharistic preacher. So there's about 50 or 60 of us throughout the country who've been, who are asked to make ourselves available throughout the next year or so to go do missions in different dioceses. My first one will be in Indianapolis in August, so please pray for me. Um, but to preach this revival um, in the way that Jesus kind of preached the kingdom of God. He didn't uh, choose celebrity all-stars to go do big conferences. He picked schmoes and schlubs to go out and actually like go to the towns and villages and announce the kingdom. Um, and so I'm flattered but also humbled to be part of that mission team. Uh, please pray for me in, in that. We had the privilege actually a few months ago in April to go on retreat together here in Chicago at the Mission of Our Lady of Angels. Uh, on the west side, and we just did three days of praying uh, together and eating together, getting to know one another, and then um, Bishop Cousins, who's uh, the, now the Bishop of Crookston, Minnesota, sort of leading up the, the revival, along with uh, a few other bishops. Archbishop Sarton was one of them, and Archbishop Sarton, uh, I only knew him from, he, he preached the homily at Cardinal George's funeral mass uh, in 2015. Um, he's a good friend of Cardinal George's and is the Archbishop of Seattle. 
he gave a beautiful talk on communion. Um, he, he told these stories, one of when he was a, a pastor, a, a younger priest, and uh, he was doing a, a particularly difficult funeral of a child. And he just remembered, and this, this became such a, a repetition for him, a place to go back to with Christ, um, that at the moment of communion, after communion was over at the funeral, he remembered so vividly the child's father sitting down in the front pew after communion was over and the priest sat down and everyone was just in that, that moment of silence before the final prayer. Everybody's received Jesus. And he just heard the father sigh deeply. just to, And there was this little coffin for his child that he was about to bury. And he was so moved that in that moment... Um, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the whole mystery of Jesus is present and accomplished in us. And it doesn't make it better. It doesn't make that suffering go away. But somehow there's this fullness in it. He told another story of when he was called on to give a, um, a retreat to the missionaries of charity. The missionaries of charity asked him if, if he would give a retreat. And uh, they didn't say where. And he said yes. And they said, it's in Yemen. Um, so he went to Yemen. He'd never been there before. It was far from home. He had to get all these vaccinations. This was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, and there were all these diseases rampant. He, he called the embassy or whatever and said, what vaccinations do, do I need? And they said, everything is endemic there or something like that. And he was just, he'd never been there. He couldn't have been farther from home, feel more out of place. And one of the sisters, the sisters picked him up at the airport and took him to this little rectory hermitage where he was going to stay the night by himself. No one was there. And um, he said he just felt like a total fish out of water, complete alien. Until the next morning, the sisters came and picked him up, and to begin the retreat, they celebrated Mass. And he said, once I celebrated the Eucharist, I felt at home. And there's something about those two stories, like that they are both situations where we feel farthest from heaven, farthest from that place of security and safety and, and home, and yet the Jesus finds us there in the Eucharist and unites himself to us in those places of alienation, of suffering, of loss, of pain, and without making them like go away and not making them sort of, it's not like a, a spiritual novocaine that just makes us stop feeling the pain, but makes them into, paradoxically, the places from an earthly perspective, that are furthest from home, but makes them the places of deepest home because like, we can't but cling to Jesus in those moments. It's the Eucharist that is our home, but it's also our strength on our way home. It's like the manna from heaven in the desert. As they wandered, the Israelites in the desert, they were fed with this miraculous bread from heaven to give them the strength and the encouragement that God is with them, and they're going somewhere. They're going to the promised land. That's the mystery of the Eucharist in a nutshell. Um, but one of the things that I've been praying with uh, a lot lately and is really striking me is um, how vulnerable God makes himself in the Eucharist. I remember there was a, a, a parishioner I had at my last parish, and I believe every Christmas after Mass, after Christmas Mass, he, would, he came up to me and with tears in his eyes just asked me, what is it like, Father, to hold the incarnate word in your hands? And it was like the whole idea and the mystery of Christmas as we celebrated it, the baby Jesus and how God would become so vulnerable in, in him and to continue to put himself in the hands of the priest at Mass and to our hands and our bodies uh, in the receiving of communion. 
that he would be so vulnerable to trust us that much. Um, and it, it always struck me. as like, I don't know. It feels great, I guess. <laughs> uh, it, it's something we can so easily take for granted that God would trust us that much to become so vulnerable for us, to make himself a meal for us. Um, the humility of God is it's so striking that it's like almost we become blind to it and we, we can't understand it. Or um, after the resurrection, Jesus comes to Thomas, or comes to all of the apostles, except for Thomas, uh, the Sunday after the resurrection, and, and appears to them and shows them his wounds and his hands and his side. Um, and they say to Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And he says, I won't believe it until I put my fingers in his hands and my, my hand into his side. I won't believe that he's risen from the dead. And, and Jesus doesn't, um, you know, balk at his conceit to put such an ultimatum on the Lord himself. I'm not going to believe in you until you come meet my demands, my terms. But somehow Jesus just says, okay. And he comes to him the next Sunday and goes right to Thomas and says, Thomas, don't be unbelieving, but believe. Put your fingers into my hands. Put your hand into my side. Caravaggio has a great painting of, of doubting Thomas where Jesus is plunging Thomas's hand into his side. And Thomas is just fascinated putting his fingers in there. That's Jesus' heart. And actually, Friday, we're going to celebrate the sacred heart of Jesus, all these great mysteries of God's love for us, that he would make his heart so open that it would be pierced and flowing with blood and water, this, this miracle of the Eucharist, his mercy poured out for us. And he doesn't hide it. Um, God could have manifested himself in any number of ways, ways that we could not deny that it's you, Lord. You know, and, and we could only come to you kneeling with awe and trembling. But in the Eucharist, we have to choose it. He makes himself hidden in the species of bread and wine, what Thomas calls the accidents of bread and wine, but the substance is the Lord, his real presence. And that vulnerability, that tender heart of Jesus for us and his love for us, even when we fail him, even when we betray him, even when we deny him, um, we receive his heart in the Eucharist. And so it's not just like, oh, there's his heart. We get to look at it in Eucharistic adoration, for example. We do. But he wants to give it to us. And so in receiving it, we actually get his heart. And we love the way he loves. We trust the way he trusts. And so in a way, it's like that tenderness is ours. And I think sometimes we think of the Eucharist. I know I speak for myself, maybe only. But um, sort of like this magic power. You know, if I, once I get the Eucharist, then I'm just going to be holy, and it's going to be really easy to be a saint and really easy not to sin. And it's like, the more the Eucharist I get, the more powerful I become, like God. And we don't find that happens. <laughs> we, become, we continue to struggle. We continue to be weak human beings in need of God's help and grace. Or we think of it as like a gold star for good behavior. I did everything I was supposed to do, and now I get my gold star, and I get to be, you know, know that I'm in God's good graces, and, and look at me, God, I did a good thing for you. I came to Mass. Um, not that there's no truth in either of those things, but uh, that they would exhaust everything that the Eucharist is for us is, is insane. Um, there's so much more depth to it. And, and I wonder if, if it's this, um, that we get to have his heart, and he restores that tenderness of our heart that was from the beginning in Adam and Eve that trust that, that they had in him. Not that they were so strong, but that they were weak and in need of his help, in need of his care, his humble care for them. Um, that's home. 
that's what Archbishop Sartin, I think, was talking about, that when we, when we truly get it, and it's not something you can just get by thinking about it a lot, you simply have to live it. And um, all of a sudden, sometimes, he comes to us in those moments when we feel most alienated, when we feel farthest from home, um, and he comes to us in it, and, and then we say, wait, no, I am home. This is home. It's Jesus, his heart. That's where I want to live forever. And it's what we get to do at every Mass um, if we ask for that grace.